Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Gateway turns 100 in 2028. As a church, God has called this church to do certain things. We are a church that God has established for a purpose. We're not the church, we are a church. And our mission is to do what He's called us to do as a church. And so we went on a journey all last year asking ourselves the question of what our values are as a church. And, you know, you would have been a part of that. There was a time for people to contribute to that. And our staff did it, our board of elders did it, a whole range of people did it. And we kind of summated it all together and created these five values that we felt as a church really represented who we were as a church. Values are important. I'll be on the screen behind me. Values are important because they define the things that it's, it's not just what you believe in, it's who you are. And it's easy to say, well, we're, we're a lot of things, and that's true. If you really were to list everything down, you could probably come up with hundreds of things that you'd say, well, this is who we are. But actually what we wanted to do was get it down to five because we felt like people could remember five and we wanted to find five of the best that we felt was at the highest level what this church could be. It doesn't mean there's not other things, but there is something that is who we are. And so your values as a person is the same as your values as a church. It informs how you act, it informs what you say, what people feel when they come around you. You know, it's not necessarily that you've told them but they just feel this idea the unspoken heart language that sits behind every ministry everybody who serves here everybody in any way whether it's from our smallest kidlings all the way through to our welcome team our music teams our prayer teams all the different teams that are here men's and women's etc every prayer every personal connection it's not something you say or something you have to tell people you've got it's just something you live out we hunger for the presence of God we value the ones. We live with abundant generosity. We raise tomorrow's leaders. We teach the Bible for every day. We felt like that was, exp- if we would live those five out, then everything else would follow. Everything else that, that, that we believe is contained in this book would be part of who we are as a church. And so in this preaching series, Who We Are, we're preaching into this idea of the values of this church. But it's not about the church it's about who god's called us to be as believers you know and and if we're going to see this church play its part in revival in this end time then we've got to stay in our lane that we think god's called us to do now we can't do everything but we can do the thing god's asked us to do and if we're a good servant of the lord then we'll play our part in revival and and god will say hopefully like the angel of the lord said to the church the churches in revelation well done, good and faithful. That would be nice to hear. But certainly in my heart and the heart of the leadership team and the heart of the pastoral team and anybody else, we earnestly desire to hear those words that God would say, well done. And so we're taking a closer look at those values and today we're looking at at teach the Bible for every day. You know, I read this article in the Courier-Mail a couple of Sundays ago and it grieved me. I mean, I'm, I don't often write letters to the editor, not because I don't think you should, but I, I just don't. Sometimes I read and I just pray and complain <laughs> privately to the Lord. 
But this time I did. I, I got out my phone and I started writing straight away back because I was so grieved. And this is what this particular writer said. The lives and opinions of the born-again Christian are about as far away from the appetites and habits of almost everyone I know in journalism. The closest I've come to speaking in tongues was after I drank 18 stubbies of Cooper's Ale on a houseboat in 1992. The same goes for the rest of my journalistic brethren. And I thought, how sad. What a sad summation. Because my heart instantly said, but mate, what about monogamous marriage? What about honest day's work for an honest day's pay? What about respecting your elders? What about doing unto others? What about loving your neighbor? What about helping the marginalized, the refugee and the disabled, displaced? What about the power of mateship and community? What about giving to the poor? What about paying your taxes? What about not thinking of yourself more highly than you should? I mean, can I, I'll go on, but this is what societies are built on. And yet we have journalists that are able to write this in the paper to say the Christian values are so far from anything I'd ever imagined. And I think, how did we lose the connection between those values and the Christian faith? It's the Christian faith that's brought those values. If you track it back, the Judeo-Christian ethic, this is what our whole society is built on. And he has the audacity to write in the paper as if grandstanding for attention. It felt so arrogant to read it. you know. And I'm not blaming him and I'm not naming him for you here. I'm not trying to shame the man. I'm just trying to speak to the spirit of this age that wants to mock the standards of Christ. We need to teach the Bible for every day. We need people to understand that. When I was at SU Queensland and for a number of years, I remember one of the first things that happened in one of my first couple of weeks as I was talking to some chaplains who were in schools. This particular lady used to take chaplains into churches. Uh, sorry, this particular chaplain would take children into churches just to let them have a, a, a site visit. Most of these kids had never, ever, ever been in a church, ever. They didn't even know what the buildings were most of the time. And this chaplain talked about this time that she went into this church and up on the, obviously it was a Catholic church, up on the wall was a crucifix with Jesus hanging on that cross. I'm not getting into the theology of that except to say the kid looked up at that and said, who's that bloke up there? Couldn't even tell you the story of the cross. Our community, there's a generation growing up that has never heard the gospel. They didn't go to Sunday school. They don't know the biblical story of God's love. There's a growing antagonism towards the church and any truth claims that we want to make as a church that are absolute truth can't be made because the God who sits behind the truth claim is foreign. How can we have a truth claim if we have no God? If we have no God, well, then there is no truth. But if there's a God in heaven who created us, then he should be listened to because he knows something about how to make this world work. Am I, am I right? Is there an amen in the house this morning? Just want to make sure you're here. Gods of materialism, science and pleasure have been worshipped for years and they have come up short, people. They have come up short. People are still looking for answers even though we say this is the answer. 
The Bible contains timeless truths. They will always be relevant to this world. Jesus will be the king of this world. He will come again. He will, be, he will come in glory and power. His kingdom will be established. It's a truth. It's going to happen. And he's looking for those that would serve him and love him. And the word of God is the only agent with the power to relocate us back into God's intended design. Without the Word of God, we have no rudder. We have no something to base ourselves on. We have no truth. Folks, there is truth. Truth exists. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Truth is the words that Jesus said, and truth comes out of His book. There is truth. And if we'll build our lives on truth, we'll heal our troubled emotions. We'll see our questions answered. The great question of the human heart is, who am I and what am I here for? Who can possibly answer that with authority unless you are God? God can look into your life and say, I know who you are. I'm going to tell you who you are, and this is what you're here for. And he can shift us from here to here, and we go, great, I now know what my purpose is. But without a connection to God, we have no word from God that will reside in our heart and challenge our soulish thinking. We'll just make it up. And, and we'll get a popular vote on what we think is the most popular thing to do, and that will be our truth. And woe betide anyone that challenges that because you're outside of us. Folks, we're going to live in a society where the Word of God is going to feel like the outsider if it doesn't already. But we've got to know and be convicted in our hearts. We need the wisdom of God for our society. We need the wisdom of God in our social structure. We need the wisdom of God in our political realm. We need the wisdom of God in our medical system. We need the wisdom of God in our education system. We need the wisdom of God. The thing is, our lives are shaped by our words. Just, just let me lay this little foundation for a minute. Everything you think and everything you believe is based on words that you believe in your heart. Words that you've been taught words that you've heard, words that you've decided are true to you. Belief. You have a belief structure inside you. That belief framework is framed by words. Words are the most powerful thing in the world today. Words. With one word, a stock market can crash. With one word, or one word that isn't listened to, planes fall out of the sky. With one word, political parties come down. With a set of words, one country evade, invades another country. Words, 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 words. They're the most powerful agent in the world. Not missiles, not pandemics. Words, words. Words put hope in people's hearts or steal them. Words. So it's no wonder that God's ways are captured in His words. God's ways and His words are the same thing. God commits himself to words. It's part of the great humility of God. God is eternal. God is infinite. He, he was before. He will be afterwards. He's no man's debtor. God is God. God. And we have no power to stand against a holy God other than he gives it to us. We have to be really clear about that. God is God not to be trifled with. Ultimately, the judge of this world, ultimately, right now, not the judge of this world, but ultimately, the judge of this world. 
His Word. His words are powerful. And if you can capture the Word of God in your heart and transfer the words that want to speak against the Word of God and put His Word in, your life will change. Because He is the powerful God who knows how to put your feet on solid rock and help you walk forward. His Word changes everything. Everything. And see, when we lose the belief in that, we go looking for other things as our solutions. We, we, well, what, what's this philosophy got for me? And what did this guy say over here? And, oh, let me read this wonderful positive statement and stick it on the back of my toilet door. It'll help me every morning. Well, maybe it will, but the most powerful word will be the word from God. Because when God speaks to you, and you know God has spoken to you, there is a resolute promise that you will never lose now. Never. Never. God's promise will not fail you. And you know why it works? It's because there's two things. The Bible talks about this in Hebrews, and I don't have the scripture at the back. Sorry, guys, I'm way off script. Um, He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. They are the two commodities that turn the word of God on fire inside you. Why? Because... You must know who you come to before you can believe the word of that person. So you've got to know God. You've got to know that God exists. You've got to know that God should be feared. You've got to know that God has all power. You've just got to know that. You've got, if you don't, to the degree you know that is the degree you'll accept His word as powerful. If God is nothing to you, then you could care less about this book. You'll burn the book because you don't care. And many, many, many have done over the centuries burnt the book because who cares? There is no God. But when you know there is a God and when you walk with the God of the heavens and he gives you a word, now we're not trifling with words, people. These are words that are immovable. These words, these are eternal words. And so we have to know that he is and he is a rewarder. Why do those two things go together? Because if he is, he could be far away, but is. Does that make sense? But he's not far away. He's a rewarder, which means he's close. The only way I can reward my kids for doing great things is I've got to know what they're doing. Haven't I? I've got to actually be close to them. I've got to know their story. I've got to know their narrative. I've got to hear their words. I've got to watch their actions. I've got to be involved. And as they do things and I want to reward my kids, I notice them. I'm involved in their life. Can you see the pattern? Well, if we do that as human beings, surely God is a rewarder. Why is he a rewarder? Because he's close to you. Now, if I know he is all-powerful and I now know he's close, now I've got the keys for faith because he's close. He knows my story. So I can talk to him about my story. Here's the irony. He already knows the story. So whatever you're trying to tell, God, I'm so angry. Yes, I know. Help me with my whatever. God says, yes, I know. So he's already in your story. Now I, I don't need to tell him my story. I need to ask him for his keys to win in my story, to overcome in my story, to go to that next level in my story. Did you see? His word is powerful. Psalm 139 says this. I do have this one on the screen. Sorry, Emma, we're back on track. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. David is speaking. How great is the sum of them. 
If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Can you get the picture that David had of God for a minute? Just let the words, get him behind these words for a minute. How great is the sum of them. The thoughts of God towards you is as great as the sand on the seashore. Now, a lot of thoughts. See, if we come to God and believe that he's not a rewarder and we believe he's stingy, so we could rewrite the scripture that says, when we come to God, you must believe that he is, but also believe that he's a miser. In other words, he won't give you everything you need, but just enough to keep you hungry, but not enough to keep you satisfied. I've met many Christians that believe that about God. God just gives me enough to keep me alive, but not enough to make me flourish. And that belief is so inside them, but it's not scriptural. That's not God. David's revelation is that the voice of the Lord, the thoughts of the Lord are streaming at him so much it's like the sand on the seashore. It's like I could, you could stand there, Jesse, here, and we could tip a truckload of sand on you, and that wouldn't be enough because there's still more coming. Every single crystal that hit you on the head that tried to drown you in sand was the thoughts of the Lord. Can you imagine walking around your day picturing that every day? I have a truckload of sand on me right now from God. He is abs- Every thought that I need is here. I just have to tune into it. See, it changes who's responsible, doesn't it? God's at fault if he's not giving me the thought, but now I've got to press in if there's a truckload. If I'm not hearing it, that's not on God. Huh? Ooh. Ouch. Hang on, pastor. You're here to encourage us. Isaiah 55 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Get this. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. So Isaiah isn't likening this to sand on a seashore. He's likening it to to the rain that falls and the snow that falls. It's just a metaphor. But what it's saying is, I mean, how much rain has fallen in the last week? We've seen a bit. You may have noticed. It came from the heavens. So much so that the metaphor is abundance is what, this, what you should be hearing. My God is a God of abundance. He's a God of abundant thought to me. If I could take that belief and rub out every other bit of inferiority, insecurity, everything else inside me that wants to scream and say, I am not enough, I am not worthy, I don't belong, I am this, I am that. If you could rub out every single word and just simply open the ears of your heart, I am surrounded by the voice of the Lord. See, they're goals. That's goals for me. I say, oh God, let's walk like that. Let's walk like that. Let's walk in the abundance of that. We enter into agreement with God when we surrender to the ultimate authority of His words in our life. I think we need a church not just this church, but across the world, that particularly in the West, 
that will begin to surrender again to the word of the Lord and trust his word. Surrender to it. I don't understand it all. No, I don't. But I will surrender to it. Proverbs says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but that way ends in destruction. We can sit in that, if we like, and try and work it all out. I, for one, would rather take God at his word and trust him on the bits I don't understand, rather than take him only on the bits I understand. Because that's reducing God to a pretty small pea-sized brain, if I can nominate my brain as an example. I don't want to just understand God. I want to be able to trust him in the things I don't understand. I don't like it. My soul doesn't like it. My flesh screams out, but it's the way of faith. It's the way of faith. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What have you got to put against your life other than your own judgments if you don't have the Word of God? What are you allowing to press into the way you think and feel if you're not using the Word of God? See, the Word of God will discern, it's a promise, between soul and spirit. In other words, what you think and what God thinks. What I think ends in destruction. What God thinks ends in prosperity and promise. And so I need to have the word of God come and divine between what's me and what's him. Weed out the me, put in the him. Weed out the me, put in the him. Line upon line, precept on precept, here a little, there a little. We build our lives in God as we do that. I just want to unpack one quick scripture before we finish today. That's Ephesians 1, my favorite, my favorite scripture. I say to our GMS students when we, when we meet and speak with them all week uh, at different times, um, if you had an emergency and they were going to steal all our Bibles, I would rip out Ephesians and I would carry that with me. That would be the one book. And I'm not saying that I want to do that. I'm just saying if I had to, Ephesians is my book. I love Ephesians. It's like the Magna Carta of God. It's the declaration of independence for me of what God has said to us. Turn to Ephesians 1 and verse 15. God is working in our life in three primary areas. There are three areas that he wants his word to incisively and surgically work in your life. Here are the three. I'll read it from the scripture. Therefore, I also, Paul is speaking, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That's the intro. That you may know three things. Number one, what is the hope of His calling? What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? They're the three things. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. These are people that already love Jesus. Because he says earlier, you know, I, I rejoice in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
but I pray for you that you would have these things. In other words, you can be a believer, but not have these things. You can be walking around knowing that God is God, but not have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in these three things. Paul is asking them to go deeper. And this morning, the Spirit of God is using me, if I may be so bold, to ask you to go deeper. To go deeper. The hope of his calling. That's the first thing he wants to give to you. The hope of his calling. What is that? That's your identity. That's who you are in him. The first thing God's got to do to you and I is shift us from what we think we are who we think we are, what, what we think is wrong with us, what we think is right with us, what we think is flawed about us, what we think is hopeful about us, what we think needs to be fixed, what we think is okay. Because sometimes even the things we think is okay need to be fixed. Sometimes the things we think are flawed are not that flawed. And God wants to reprioritize that. Sons and daughters, healed from the disease of sin, reconciled to a Father that loves us, free to know God, free to trust God, free to walk with God, not bowed down by this sense of inferiority, but standing in the kingdom of God, shoulders back, looking into the eyes of our Father, saying, God, we're here, we're ready, use us, serve, we're here to serve you. Well, that's, our pe- that's the people we want to be. We are not downtrodden. We are not victims of sin. Sin has been dealt with once and for all. God wants to lift your eyes now and show you a new vision. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The second thing, what is this? This is your future and your hope. See, God wants you to focus on the kingdom now. Not on the kingdoms of this world but on the kingdom of God. That's why he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. God wants you to focus on the kingdom because in the kingdom is where your inheritance is. It's a kingdom inheritance. God, and, and, and the riches of the glory of that inheritance already sits there over you. God, you don't have to earn it. It's there. The challenge you've got is you've got to start to see it with the eyes of your understanding that are enlightened so you can walk in it. You won't walk in what you can't see. You won't ask God for what you don't know. But as you begin to see it and your eyes are uncovered, you go, the kingdom of God is far greater than any kingdom of this world. The word of God can change me. The word of God can change others. My job is to serve the kingdom of God and all those things will be added to me. It's not a weaker stance. It's not a lesser stance. It's not only for the people in the clergy. It's the kingdom of God. It's for all of us. Seek the kingdom means fill the vision of your life with kingdom priorities. See the poor. See the broken. See the needy. Pray. Seek God. Let your heart be broken for the things that God is looking at. See, reorient yourself to kingdom priorities. Seek the kingdom. Oh, you say, I don't have time. Don't argue with me. Argue with God. I, 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 all I can do is go. And finally, the exceeding greatness of his power. Oh, 
So he wants to change your identity. He wants to set your future vision on the kingdom. And then he wants to let you know how much power is in that kingdom for you to walk in, for you to know, for you to experience. The power to be changed, but the power to be a change agent. The power to walk in the miracle. What is the first thing that the Peter and John did after they stood up and declared the gospel in Jerusalem and 3,000 people got free? What was the very next thing they did? They walked past the gate beautiful and the lame man who had been there 40 years. And the Bible said he was an old man for he was 40 years of age. I find that offensive. (laughs) And they walked past him. And they said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have. See, such as we have. Such as we have. Why? They had a revelation of the exceeding greatness of his power towards them who believe. They're not saying, oh, quick, Jesus, come back, stand here. You missed one. No, no, they, they said, this is our job now. We are. Let me show you something I just saw this week. It just changed my life. I've seen this scripture forever. Luke 24 and 49 says, this was Jesus giving commandment to the church before the book of Acts took place. He said to them, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high. Here's the thing. In the Greek, I've never read this in the Greek before. It actually says this, Behold, I am sending the promise of of the Father that's on me to you. Just hear this. Behold, I am sending the promise of the Father that's on me to you. That's what it actually says in the Greek. That's what Jesus was saying. What was the promise of the Father that was on Jesus? Well, it's Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes and oil of joy for mourning. Is it no wonder that Peter and John, when they walked past the gate beautiful, said, he's a candidate for the kingdom. He's lame. Let me check in my Bible. Does lameness exist in the kingdom? No. I don't have silver and gold, but I have an understanding that you can now enter the kingdom in Jesus' name, rise up. In Jesus' name, rise up. In Jesus' name, rise up. He took him by the hand. (laughs) 5,000 more people got added to the church. Church growth is really not that complicated. We don't need too many seminars, really. Probably just need to just demonstrate the kingdom. Let me just close on this. Paul declared in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. I believe in my heart that if people really, really knew the gospel of Jesus, they would grab it. But they just haven't seen it yet. My man who wrote in the Courier Mail, who wrote that stuff that just was grieved my heart. My heart for him, my prayer for him has been, God, we just need to show him the gospel. 
If he really saw the gospel, he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say that. He wouldn't even write that. He'd say, people, this is the greatest message in the world. Get some. He might say it a little bit nicer than that, actually. He's a, he's a journalist. But I would say it that way. Just come get some. For it is the power of God unto sozo, salvation, complete and total wholeness. The complete and total wholeness of the human being is in the dream of God for you. And it contained in the Word of God. Why do we teach the Bible for every day? Because we want to see that salvation poured out on every single life. Every life. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we are servants of yours. God, you have called us into your kingdom. The kingdom that you imagined in your heart before the beginning of time. A kingdom that you want us reconciled with you and you have done all you have to do, all you need to do to see us reconciled with you. And the reality is to be reconciled with you is the greatest calling any human being can ever have. That they know God and they can walk with a God that cares and loves them. And they can bring a kingdom to this earth that has no pain, no suffering, but brings joy and life and wholeness and liberty. And God, yes, there'll be things we don't understand about that kingdom, but we know that that is not ours to understand, but ours to obey. God, we are to put our faith in you and walk with you and trust your word. Father, we thank you. Help us as a church live to this high calling. Forgive us for where we haven't. But God, help us go deeper with you, each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.